Thank you, Dave, and thank you, Christ Church. This is not the first time I've had the honor to be in this community many years back. I cannot even remember what year it was when I was first here, but it's an honor to be back. So many of you I know in more than one context, some from back in Franklin, Tennessee, that migrated south. By the way, dear Archbishop of Sonic Reality, is it safe for me to stand here? Is that going to mess with? We're good. Okay, great. I'll let you keep tweaking this redneck accent here while we get settled in. But a lot of you, and that's just the tapestry of growing in this gospel. We get to know each other. And uh, the better we know each other, especially when it's in the pool of God's grace, the more we can risk together, the more we can come to believe that there's really nothing more than the gospel of God's grace. There's just more of the gospel of God's grace. And that's why this weekend is titled the way it is. Uh, In fact, if it's been intriguing to you, in fact, if, if just the title of a conference prone to wander got you in your seat, you're thinking, what in the world is that about? Then let me take a moment to give you a second phrase that will perhaps make that connection in our conversation tonight and tomorrow morning, hopefully very endearing to you. Uh, First of all, if you have any kind of electronic or paper Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 73. There is one story psalm that we are going to interact with tonight and tomorrow morning. And it is a psalm that God has used and continues to use very powerfully in my heart because it tells the story that indeed we are prone to wander, but we are made for wonder. Get your A right, get your O right. We are prone to wander, to drift, either putting on our track shoes and running or just throwing our hearts into default mode and drifting. We are prone to wander away from our true center. And what's sad about that is we are made for wonder. The word wonder, think of synonyms like awe, astonishment, something that's captivating to my core. And uh, we want to see how that looks like in the beauty of the God who is meeting us in our wandering. In fact, let's just say this, as prone as we are to wander, our God is way more prone and committed to seek and to find. In fact, really the main seeker in the whole of Scripture, if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you don't find a lot of people seeking, but you do find a God who is seeking. Uh, He runs after those who do not know Him. He runs after His own who, like me, do wander for various reasons. So tonight my goal is going to be in this first part of Psalm 73. I'm going to read the whole Psalm first, but then we're going to look at the first half of the Psalm tonight. We're going to talk about what do we mean about this inclination to wander. Um, Let me read through Psalm 73 and just to be very upfront, I'm reading from my uh, now, I guess, 42-year-old Bible, old vintage NIV If you have ESV or newer NIV, just want you to know what I'm reading from. This 
This Bible, this NIV I got before there were cross notes, before there was even a concordance in the back. And it has traveled with me around the world, but more importantly, as I have learned to read it, it has been reading me and increasingly just showing more and more about how little I really do understand about the God of all grace and how much our Father loves us. So listen to this psalm. Let me tell you briefly about what we're about to read. I'm going to read a psalm written by someone involved in vocational ministry. His name is Asaph. King David did not write all of the psalms. Uh, He did appoint certain um, individuals to serve in the temple courts with them. Gifted songwriters, those that would lead the liturgy of the temple. And Asaph was one of these very gifted songwriters. And one of the things I absolutely love about Asaph is that he is so honest. In fact, I wish I had read this psalm. I wish I had marinated in scriptures like this before I became a Christian and even early into my Christian journey. Because I think I would have discovered that the Christian life is far less about performance-based acceptability far less about me getting a second chance to turn my life around, far less about me getting a clean slate and then beginning to show God how sincere I am and why I should get to go to heaven one day. Now, I would really realize if I'd read stories like Psalm 73, that the gospel better be a word of grace for messes like me. And I became became convinced of that good news of God willingly taking on all the issues of the hearts of his sons and daughters through a psalm like this. Now, what we're going to read is a psalmist looking back on a season of his life, chronicling his wander. Psalm 73 is the story of Asaph. It'd be like him standing up in our church gathering here, these three, three marvelous communities of faith and basically saying, let me, let me tell you men and women what it felt like to be me for a good season of life. And it's a hard story to tell, but I want you to be encouraged that, as Asaph would say, if you're like me, if you go to the dark places I went to, if you go off the island like I did, if you don't go anywhere, but your heart became a stranger to the grace of God, I've got good news for you, Asaph will say. Understand that the Lord will meet you where you are. Understand that he will never shame you as he tracks you down. Understand that he who has already given you great love in Jesus will give you even more. Be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is good. Now listen to his story. And listen to the struggle. Listen to the honesty. And then listen to the wonder of his heart. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for his word. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. 
Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice and their arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. By the way, if you want a biblical definition of a pity party, you just read it. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed this generation of your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream, when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. By the way, that's, as we'll see, that's not a self-righteous man wanting bad people to get their due. It's a wise man understanding. If I had followed in this course of action, this is where it would have taken me. How do we know that? Look at these next verses, because Asaph is very vulnerable and honest with us, and Pray that we will find some freedom to be this way too. Verse 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And being with you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. And let me pray once more for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, glorious God of all grace, Trinity of wonder, passion, delight, eternal God so full of mercy and kindness, never needing anything but creating all things for your Glory in our good. Come and be richly in our midst. Some of us have lived a very full week and a very busy day. And Lord, would you send your spirit and grace even to keep us attentive for these next 20, 30 minutes or so. Would you help us to know that you are the pursuing God. That as we wander, that in our wandering, we through grace, have permission to see it, to own it, and not to be stuck in it, but to find you faithfully, lovingly meeting us where we are and coming and 
restoring to us the joy of our salvation, reeling in these wandering hearts, rescuing us, restoring us, refreshing us, renewing us. Lord, thank you that you've been mighty in my life to rescue me out of a lot of wandering. And I thank you for teaching me that even now, when I throw my heart into cruise control, I can still wander. But Lord, those destinations of my wandering look far less attractive than they ever were in the past because grace is sweeter than ever. May it be in our midst tonight, we pray, and tomorrow morning in Christ's name. Amen. Well, a couple of thoughts as we begin working through the first half of this psalm tonight. And again, I, I want to invite you just to begin thinking as you listen to this psalm in my story, what does wandering look like for you? As you're sitting there right now, what voices are vying for your attention? What's, what's, the, what's the inner gyroscope of your soul? Where does the GPS of your heart naturally want you to go tonight? It could be nothing more than your favorite chair in your den. You're just tired. And you know what? God bless you. You can lay down and take a nap with us if you need to. No shame in tiredness. But some of us, like Jonah, may have already quietly booked a one-way ticket for Char Tarshish. It's just too much. And we're still in the community of faith, but we're convinced if anybody really knew in this room what's going on in our hearts and imagination, we would think that we would get the left foot of fellowship out of here. If anyone really knew the fantasies, the stories, the the why that the gospel doesn't seem to be at all amazing anymore and why perhaps anger over some people in our lives still have more power over our hearts than anything remotely that looks like grace. We're all welcome here. We're all welcome here. And this psalm shows us a couple of things about this psalm. This is an honest psalm. Oh, that our churches were this real. It tells us the story of a man invested in vocational ministry, struggling with a wandering heart. Now, I like that because I've been involved in vocational ministry for 40 years. I've been a pastor for 40 years, just about. So ordained in First Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, great city. I am a Tar Heel. My uh, wife is from Greensboro. I'm from that metropolis of Graham. 8,000 people, halfway between Greensboro and Chapel Hill, where I went to undergraduate school. But I didn't grow up in a church where there was any sense of people just really being invited to struggle well. Did not grow up in a church where anything remotely akin to the gospel, as I understand it now, was presented. I don't judge anybody. I'm not mad at anybody for that. It's just reality. You know, and, and this picture here of someone in vocational ministry, it came to me at a very critical time in my life that I'll tell you a little bit about tonight. A lot of my wandering came to a peak when I was 50 years old. In fact, I want this to encourage you as we start tonight, the most important growth I have done in my wandering, owning my wander, seeing it, grieving it, and knowing a measure of healing for it happened at a time when our church was just hitting it out of the park in downtown Franklin, Tennessee. A church that had grown from, from five couples to 4,000 people in about eight years. And in the midst of that, when things are going really well in vocational ministry, God gave me the gift of a burnout. 
I hit the wall. Hallelujah. Because I've been running in place in a successful ministry. I'll talk about that a little bit, but I want just to see the scripture. First of all, my story is one thing. God's story is everything, right? So this is an honest psalm that's meant a lot to me, and I hope it means a lot to you as this weekend unfolds. It's also a gospel psalm. What do I mean by that? It demonstrates that the gospel is just as much as for believers as non-believers. That's language that seems odd. I, once again, grew up in a small area where uh, being a, a Southern Presbyterian, I went to a, a PCUS church. Those letters mean nothing to most of us. Just know I went to a, to a, a church in which I oftentimes say the church I grew up in was neither conservative or liberal. We were just churchgoers. We weren't fighting fundies. We weren't fighting liberals. We were just Southern. You go to church. And, uh, and yet the word gospel to me basically meant what my Baptist friends in school did on Sunday night. I had Baptist friends that they said, Scotty, you want to come to our gospel meeting? And I dared to go to one of those one time and the evangelist played a trumpet and it scared me to death. And but the gospel meeting was the night, the service when they give an altar call and the gospel is presented and you can come to the assurance that you go to heaven when you die. That was the gospel meeting. So I grew up thinking the gospel was basically what you do to make sure you're not going to hell. You do it on Sunday night in a Baptist church. I didn't understand that the gospel is not just the beginning of the Christian life. It's, it's the whole of the Christian life. That's why I said earlier, there's, there's nothing more than the gospel. There's more of it. The gospel is not just the ABC. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. It's, it's the unsearchable riches of Christ for us through our coming to know Jesus experience and growing up in him and finding greater healing and freedom until the day he returns and, and we are raised and we are complete. Indeed, it's a gospel psalm. This psalm shows us three things. And I'll use this language and I'll hope this will help us as we think about our own wander. This, this psalm is going to show us the insanity of self-righteousness and pragmatic spirituality. You know, this is a spiritual renewal conference weekend, which means we want to talk about it. So what does the Bible really say about spirituality? Well, the psalm is going to show us there's there's, there's a couple of versions that don't work at all well, don't work at all. And one is self-righteousness, that, that I'm just going to get here, do more, try harder. We're going to see how, how, what this looks like in Asaph's story. Self-righteousness and pragmatic spirituality, rules and moralism and all that stuff, it doesn't work. It's, it's not biblical Christianity. But also we'll see, along with the insanity of self-righteousness and pragmatic spirituality, we'll see the futility of unrighteousness and hedonistic spirituality. On the other end of the spectrum, it's like, if I really, really get what I want, would it be enough? If I really look at people out there that have a life different than mine, that don't care about a faith story, that don't care about this Jesus, that don't care about Bible, People that seem to have a life so much better than mine and they're living without any reference to God. Would that really work? The psalm says, no, that would not work either. But what this psalm does show us is the beauty of Christ's righteousness and gospel-driven spirituality. Well, let's go through the text 
going to make some points and we want to consider what this looks like. Let's just verse by verse walk through this part of the psalm tonight as we're considering wandering. Look at these words. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. But what a bold statement. Oh, that more of us, even in vocational ministry, could really talk about how, how we need the gospel as much as anybody in the house. Remember with me, here is a songwriter of Israel. Here is a professional believer. And he's writing words that all of Israel would sing as a part of their corporate worship. He's acknowledging. He's giving the gift of vulnerability. I want y'all to know something you may not have known about me, even as I served in this temple. I went through a season of slippage. My heart was in a hard place, a raw place. I want you to know about it, but I want you to know about the God that met me there. I had nearly lost my foothold. Later in the psalm, he's going to talk about that slippery slope of where getting what we think we deserve, need, or want, where it will take us. And then he shows us next about what his own wandering consisted of. In a few moments, we're going to talk about the two primary gravitational pulls of wander. So wandering presupposes movement. What, what, what pulls us? Well, consider his, verse 3. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's probably thinking here about those both inside of the temple, but all those on the outside of the temple. Now think with me for a moment, some of the crazy Asaph would have been exposed to. He had a long ministry, somewhere between 40 and 50 years. He actually worked under King David and King Solomon. If you know anything about the biblical story, these are two men that started pretty well, but had some really raw chapters in their life, right? I wonder what it meant for maybe this faithful worship leader to have lived through that season when King David committed murder and adultery. What did he do with that? Or perhaps even more early in Solomon, seeing a wise Solomon and maybe living long enough to see the decadence of a man that ended up with 1,100 wives and concubines. You know, when, when, you, when you do what, what we do, Chuck and I do, when you, when you live in ministry, uh, Keith and Dave, you know, we, we see a lot. We see a lot when we look in the mirror. But, but there's dynamics of life and you begin to think, like Asaph, Lord, I'm trying to do it right. Why is it that some people that deserve judgment get away with stuff? Why is it some people that I so drive my get on my horse and come to temple to serve you. I see people out there in their Ferrari chariots and they don't care about temple, but their marriages are happier. Their kids say, yes, ma'am. They got bigger condos along the Mediterranean, whatever. You know, we, 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 I envy the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It goes on, verse 4, they have, they have no struggles. This is where we begin to realize when you wander how you falsely view life. They have no struggles. Really, Asaph? You know one person that has no struggles? Really? You know, sometimes it feels like that, right? When, when, when we go through various seasons of life, when we get disconnected, when we when we remember the lyric of the gospel, but get far from the music of the gospel, we become insane. That's why good liturgy will always bring us back to gospel sanity every Lord's day. 
That's why our church increasingly is thinking about having the Lord's Supper every week, because we want to feast in the house of that Zion today. We, we, want, we, want to, we want to reconnect because we are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it prone to have eyes that look somewhere else. Someone's always wanting to change the price tag saying this is of greater worth. Asaph shows us as the people of God, this is what it can look like. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. It goes through verses 6 through 11, talking about some of the people he had his eyes on. We're not sure who Asaph became enamored with, whose lifestyle, whose story, whose stuff. But we do know he went on to describe them, and, and he describes them with envy. You know, they, they, they're, look at them. They're together. They have this, this circle. There's a group of them, and, 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 and they mock God, and, and, and they're, and they're high-fiving each other in the pubs, and, and, and they don't care, and they speak with malice, and they even question God's goodness. And that messed with Asaph. It just disturbed him. He really thought he was doing it right. Can you kind of imagine a choir would feel that way? God, I'm writing psalms. I'm working in the temple. All these dullards and doofuses out there, they're just doing this. And why, oh God? This is what the wicked are like. Verse 12. Carefree, increasing in wealth. And then verse 13. And here's, here's a taste of what bitterness looks like. Surely in vain. I've kept my heart pure. In vain. I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. Again, really, Asaph, every day this is your life. Every day you wake up and the eggs are rotten. The falafel is gone. Every day your children act out disobediently. Every day is a bad day. It felt emotionally to him like that. I know what that feels like. Do you? When Jesus is not enough, where do you go? Well, before I share a little bit of my internal struggle and journey and how faithful God has been, let's just look. Let's just consider where Asaph's wandering heart took him. Here's an example of a servant of God whose life became a Jackson Brown song. First of all, as I get older, I realize my illustrations have to change. If you know the singer-songwriter, even the name, you, can't, you don't have to name a song, but you know the singer-songwriter Jackson Brown, name your hand, raise your hand. Hallelujah. I'm in God's people. All right. <laughs> but Asaph, like me, became an emulation of a Jackson Brown song, Running on Empty. Some of you immediately hear that in your head. Look at the four things he showed us that he began to... C is gravitational pull. And maybe just, you know, let me even pray again for a moment. Father, thank you that your spirit no longer condemns us because Jesus has been condemned for our sins. Hallelujah. Father, thank you. Your spirit's in our midst tonight and in our hearts not to condemn us, but to convict us. Let us know the difference. Lord, even take these words and help us begin to think about our own wonder and, and, and where we had been going, even if it hasn't involved a change of geography. Thank you, Father. Amen. Four things stand out, and they just happen to all start with a P. This isn't just preacher speak. I think it works. Look at this. Four things he envied. Position, prosperity, 
power, and peace. Now, let's just think about these as some of the gravitational pull that might be grabbing us. Right here is the people of God even. What, what, did, what did Jackson, not Jackson Brown, but what did Asaph tell us he wanted more of? That God was not giving him. Position, he tells us, he envied the arrogant. Now, what does that look like? Status, a name, reputation, inner circle belonging. C.S. Lewis, some of you would know that name, that life, the writings of this atheist turned reluctant convert who talked about that in the hearts of most men and women, there is this inner circle longing. We see some people, some group, some marriage, some somebody, some group that, that has, has connection, has welcome, has acceptance, and we're on the outside. I would suggest that for probably all of us in one form or another, we, we all know what that feels like. We want to belong. Maybe even you came into that foyer tonight out there and you wondered, is this going to be one more night when I realize how alone I am? And you came in and maybe you picked up your teriyaki chicken on a stick and you made movement around and everybody seemed to be talking and connecting and you thought, why? Why didn't anybody know my name? See, some of us live a life where we just sense, I don't belong. No one would even know if I wasn't around. Maybe even in my own marriage. He envied that sense of, 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 of status, of standing, of a people. He also envied prosperity. He saw the prosperity of the wicked. Holding security and money. Now we, we, we all know what that feels like. And, and we just came through a Christmas season again where our culture basically said to us, you need this, you need this. You need this. You're nobody till you wear this. You're nobody till you fit in this. Prosperity. You know, Jesus made it clear that you can't love, serve, and worship God and money. One will be more preeminent than the others. And sometimes what we do is we start getting mad at God because we thought he promised us the good life. Prosperity here. Power. Asaph was also drawn to their healthy bodies, sensuality and vanity. You know, he, he described their physicality. And you know what? The older I get, the more sounds I make when I get up out of a chair. Uh, one of my best friends back in Nashville, one of my members of my in-town gospel posse now is an orthopedic surgeon, the top provider in the Vanderbilt group. His name's Paul Thomas. He has worked on four parts of my body, torn meniscus, ruptured L5-S1, Two torn rotator cuffs. The outer man's wearing out. And when I eat a Raina cookie, it, 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 it goes to my waist quicker than it used to. That's an insider joke. But that's a, actually, some of you know Raina cookies. Um, but but we, we start thinking about things are changing, and I don't like it. And... Uh, Sexuality, that's got to be a part of it. We, we again, we're, we're part of a story in which the Bible tells us we are made to be before the gaze of God naked without shame, and yet sin and death have racked the way we think about our bodies, our sexuality, about kindness, touch, and, and we all know what that looks like, and our culture is getting even more distorted. But we don't need to worry about the whole culture. That's been, see, that's a part, as I'll share been part of my story, the distortion in my own soul about how to think about my body marked by real 
um, tragic intrusion in my soul through inappropriate touch. And uh, I understand that. I understand the confusion. I understand looking at people that seem to be so together when you feel so disconnected. Lastly, peace. He craved what? A hassle-free, stress-free, burden-free life. Let me say that again. He craved a hassle-free, stress-free, burden-free life. Sounds pretty good to me. How about you? Well, think about this. We move now into a little bit more of a personal time where I share what this has looked like in my life and hopefully to give you some on-ramps and permission for you. But think about this as we move there. All of us tend to wander by one of two gravitational pulls. Now, this isn't in your notes, but if you're a note taker, I would say this would be one of the main things to think about holding on to and maybe even as I give us an assignment tonight before we go home, just to think about before tomorrow morning. The theme of wandering, there's basically two primary gravitational pulls that would help us understand why we wander really far away or in place. Number one, see this more with Asaph, we wander by the pull of filling the emptiness. Good longings get hijacked by sin and substitute gods. Let me say that again. We wander to fill the emptiness. Everybody in this room, and I, I, if, if some of you are just here beginning to explore the gospel, or explore a faith story that some of your friends have invited you to think about, first of all, we're so glad you're here. Very honored you'd be here. Very honored you take a part of your weekend just to be in a community of men and women. And I, I hope you will know before we say goodbye tomorrow at lunchtime, you got a lot more in common with us than you might think. We, we really... You, you know, we, we, are, we are a messy people with a gracious God, and I hope you discover that. But we all share this in common. God has given us good longings. You're not wrong to want intimacy. You're not wrong. We're not wrong to want impact. We're not wrong to want to belong. We're not wrong to want a sense of welcome. But you see, this gravitational pull, it gets hijacked and held hostage. That's what sin is. Sin is not breaking a bunch of rules. First of all, it's a tragic reorientation away from the, 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 the world for which I've really been made. A, light, a garden paradise in which God wants to be known. God is a passionate, joyful, loving God intending for us to be shame-free and, and moving forward into His world. Loving and laughing and serving together. We've got good longings. So some of us, by the gravitational pull of good longings, they get hijacked. We wander. But others of us, and this is more like my story, First, gravitational pull, filling the emptiness. Secondly, medicating our pain. Real pain gets taken to physicians that cannot heal. And that's really where I begin, want to begin to share with you a little bit how I relate to this. How I relate to this, not just many years ago when I was 50. And by the way, this next week I will be 67. So to put my story in context for you, I'm a... February 1st baby, Groundhog's Eve day, born in 1950. And so I hit the big 6-7 next week. But these last 17 years have been a journey of getting more freedom. And I want that to encourage you. Uh, as, as a 50-year-old, I moved into some of this stuff. 
some of you haven't been sucking oxygen for half that long in life. But for others of you that might be tempted to say, I'm sorry, this marriage is just too old. We're, we, we, I've, been, I've been too old. I'm, I'm looking forward to the day of resurrection, but I can't really change. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. You're not a dog. You're an image bearer of God. And for me, my life has been, my wandering has been more about medicating pain. Where has my wandering heart taken me? Indeed, my story has been less about making a name for myself and more about medicating the pain in my heart. What does that mean? Um, well, uh, let, me, let me put it like this. Uh, some of us in this room are restless. Some of us um, cannot be still. Some of us are very driven and very busy. Not because we are ambitious. There has never, as far as I know, been an ambitious bone in my body. I never had big dreams to fulfill. I never thought of big churches to plant. I never wanted to be a pastor. There, there's nothing about me that went through career counseling. I never sat down with my father or anybody and mapped out anything. Because really, as long as I can look back now, there have been two realities that really define so much of my life well into the ministry. The two powers of fear and shame. And I can comfortably look at you now and tell you about that right now because you know what? I, I wandered for a long time and I'm so glad I got caught. A part of that did involve that burnout I mentioned to you, to be physically, emotionally, mentally, physically brought to the point that I had to cry uncle. But in the gospel, we cry uncle that we might cry Abba. Two big stories I had to come to deal with. Now, some of you know me well. Dave referred to one of my books I wrote telling some of the stories. So I'm not going to linger here, but I want to give you a handle to know where the Lord has taken me in my wandering and how I worked so hard to medicate pain, but I took it to the wrong physicians. Two stories. One happened when I was 11. One happened when I was 8. Again, data that some of you know, others of you that have ever seen me, I would just share this with you as a part of my story. I was 50 years old before I began to acknowledge that the death of my mom when I was 11 years old had a huge impact in the way I thought about God, life, and my world. My mom was killed in a head-on car crash in the October of my sixth grade year. And a lot of you have lost loved ones before. And so I'm not saying that my story is unique. But in my family system, the way that played out deeply, deeply, deeply set me in life in such a fashion that incredibly lurking, claiming, clamoring insecurities defined so much of my life, including ministry. The day my mom died, my dad came home in that day, met my brother and I, have one sibling named Moose, three years older than me. That's not Moose on his birth certificate. That's just his nickname ever since the eighth grade. But my dad walks in the room where we were in the neighbor's home and simply said to us, boys, do you know what happened this morning? Meaning, do you know that your mom is dead? We said, yes. With that, he walked right by us in another room and did not mention her name for 39 years. Dad shut down in such a depression, death of mom, my mom, his wife, so grabbed his whole heart. We never touched, we never grieved, we never did anything as a father and two boys around that night. That dramatically impacted me. I tried to minimize that so much of my life in Christ. I tried to, 
You know, when I first started memorizing verses like some of you have, Romans 8, 28 was always one of my favorites. God works in all things for the good of those who love him. You know what? That is such good news. And some of that might be some good news you pray in your heart this weekend. But I use that more like a biblical band-aid to put on a cancer. It's a process of God working in our stories. And, 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 and I needed to know what it meant to have from age 11 moving forward, just not only having my mom ripped out of my life, but the absence of any sense of grief. I never grieved. I just got stronger. I was told as a little boy, big boys don't cry. I'm not blaming anybody for anything. I've been so over trying to do life, life by blaming. Don't, don't do life by blaming, please. See, we do story work to realize we're not looking for excuses, but understanding. And I see now that, that that chapter in my heart of a death that was never processed, named, and the impact, the insecurity, all the confusion going through puberty and change and growing up in a world where for all of my life, and I understand why in my dad's story, but not one, one of my birthdays did my father ever call me and wish me happy birthday. Again, don't think bad of my dad. If you knew his story, you would even understand. So many difficult things happen to us. We carry wounds. But unfortunately, we reach for remedies that don't really heal anything. See, if you're doing life primarily reaching more for relief than a changed heart, you're just not going to grow. And that has been a lot of my life, wanting relief more than a changed heart. The gospel's about change, freedom. That first wound was a deep one, and I started processing it when I was 50 years old. When you go through a burnout, when you finally cannot run anymore, when your drivenness gives way to broken downness, you got some choices to make. Well, I begin to realize that I, I, I am broken. Thank God I was a part of a community that believed the gospel and had friends that longed for me, health that I did not wish for myself. And that started a process I will talk about tomorrow morning. But let me tell you one more wound, and I'll be very careful. I love the fact that we've got some young people in the room. So let me share this part of my story very carefully. Um, it is, at age 50, I began to look at this wound again in the way the life I've been doing life medicating pain and never really getting relief. Um, so convinced that I would go to heaven when I would die, but how do I live before I die? Six years later, God gave me grace to realize there had been a prior wounding in my heart, even a far more greater marking, breaking, wounding power. Uh, when I was eight, which was three years before my mom died, uh, in the neighborhood I grew up in, there was an older young person that we all admired, we all trusted. And uh, this uh, neighborhood young person uh, 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 was a predator and uh, allured me into a context, a barn. Again, I'm going to be very careful as I share this because the specifics are not important, but the wound is important. Brought into an environment and before me uh, in this place that I was just glad to be wanted and desired. There was on the floor uh, pictures that I should have never seen as an eight-year-old. Uh, types of pornography, first time I'd ever seen anything like this. And as I am in shock, in a situation that I thought was safe, then I am, um, this person takes advantage of me and harms me deeply. And it only happened one time. 
And I think that because my sexual abuse was only one singular act, I just basically tried to say, well, you know, that, that was bad, but it's okay. You just, you just move on. And uh, I did not understand the way evil penetrated my heart that day. I did not realize how the disintegration of my innocence, the death that happened prior to my mom's death so deeply marked and set me up to be a man among men, always doubting, am I really a man? Do I measure up? I can just tell you now, in the last 10 years of processing a chapter in my life called sexual abuse, you know, to, to begin to look at all the lies and all the layers, to begin to look at all the ways that, that I live life in such a fashion that, that when I read Asaph now, I say, me too, me, me too, Asaph. I know what it means to envy. I know the inner world of wanting to be different, seeing other people that seem to be so much healthier. Me too, in ministry, as a pastor, writing books, known as one of the grace guys. Me too, Asaph. I was more helpful to others then I was able really to really think about my own heart. And that's why, let me share with this as we begin to wind down this first talk. This is, maybe this will help you. There were three things I have, three themes on my note that I will share with you to let you know how, how my wandering heart, the way this played out in adolescence, early marriage as a dad, as a friend, early years of ministry, three themes and then we're going to start talking about tonight just giving the Lord some margin to welcome our hearts and our wander. See if this makes sense to you. You've heard about two huge heart wounds that were never dealt with seriously at all, never brought to a throne of grace. And this is what this looked like for me. Here's three themes that would help you understand who I was. Notice me, but don't know me. Here's, a, here's something that I can look back now and see. This is the way I began to do life. Notice me, but don't know me. There was deep insecurity outside my area of competence. A lot of fear of man and paralyzing shame. You would have never known that. If you've been in downtown Christ Community Church in those early years, we planted that church in 1986. And you thought, and most of the time, the reason why I love to preach on steps is because that's all the space we had. Chuck in our church, I mean, People were coming in. We had this old funky Baptist church and people would sit in windowsills. The choir area became regular seating. So I had to preach on a step. So I'm surrounded by people, preached four times every Sunday for seven years and I have a step. And you would have never guessed that I was one of the most insecure people in your world because I was standing on the security of I can talk. I can hold the microphone and that can be helpful to you. But really on the inside, second theme, or maybe the one that helps you understand what it felt like to be me. Uh, I can look back now and say so much of my life was I was living as the Wizard of Oz. Raise your hand if you've ever seen the Wizard of Oz one time. Please tell me. Are it still time for you to become a Christian? Okay. <laughs> no, I, I'm not saying go Netflix that one real quick here, but let me give you a scene as we do invite you to think about your story and heart. One of my favorite scenes in that movie that the Holy Spirit used to say, Scotty, this is the way you've been doing life, and it's not okay. The gospel's bigger and better. Do you remember that scene when Dorothy and Toto and her three dear friends make it to the Emerald City? If you've never seen the movie, it's a story about there's the, there's the good news. There's someone called Oz the Great, and he can help Dorothy get back to Kansas, and he can help the straw man get what? What straw man need? What's 10 men need? 
What does a lion need? We hear there's an Oz. Let's go to Oz if you go to the Emerald City. And so they make it to the Emerald City. And you remember the scene in that kind of old colorized movie kind of thing? There's everything's green and there's lightning and there's thunder. And oh, you know, and you think, oh, wow, mighty Oz is here. And then in the movie, the little dog of Dorothy, Toto, starts walking away. And Toto drifts away from Dorothy and her little broken friends. And, and Dorothy realizes, where's Toto? And, and Dorothy follows Toto in and she sees two curtains. And what's behind the curtains? Mighty Oz, who actually happens to be what? Very ordinary Oz. Pushing a lot of buttons just there. And, and in essence, kind of the story plays out like this. Dorothy just, it's almost like, Oz, we don't need you to be mighty, Oz. Like, we're all broken out here. Come on, come on and join the rest of us broken messes. You know? <laughs> I think you're probably as messy as us. You don't need to be the fourth member of the Trinity. Now, that's not in the text of the movie. Don't get me wrong. It's not written from a biblical worldview, and yet God's voice is everywhere if we hear it. And the Lord began to show me as a 50-year-old man moving forward, Scotty, you don't need to hide behind curtains. Hiding from your wife, your kids, your friends, your church, just doing stuff. We, we, you don't have to be Oz with this utilitarian self-view where you think, just leave me alone. I can, I can do some stuff for you, which is kind of where life went for me. Let me do for you what God's gifted me to do. Let me talk about God and the Bible and grace. Let me free you from your legalism. This is good stuff. Don't, but don't expect there to know that there's anything in me to know. I really did not believe there was anybody home. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. Some of you that have got more money than you'll spend in three lifetimes. Some of you that have a lot of letters after your name. Some of you that are so restless running from job to job. Some of you that are so alone. Some of you, you know what that feels like. And nobody knows it. Because we wear our pose and we're able to wander so carefully. Well... The Lord comes to us. One more thought, then I will pray. We will pray. Third theme that will kind of help us understand where our wander takes us and why the gospel is so precious, along with this image of notice me but don't know me, and I did not really want to be known, come close, stay away, even to my own wife. I'm the Wizard of Oz. Let me do stuff for you. No, that's, we don't need that. Thirdly, this is where the Lord's been meeting me. Protect my heart at all costs. I could not, I would not afford any more abandonment, betrayal, or loss in my story. My wife lived with a man with a frozen and disconnected heart for the first 25 years of our marriage. I could be alive in the pulpit, but emotionally disengaged with my family. The gospel dealt with my guilt long before it dealt with my shame. Now, the only reason I, you know, I can be and glad to be this honest and real with you is I am so glad I didn't wait till I was 70 and, the, and, and my teeth were beginning to be floating at night in a little jar with Pepsodent or no, not Pepsodent. What is the little Polydent, whatever. Thank you. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad to say, Lord, thank you, this wandering guy, you found me, Lord, and I was so stubborn and resistant, but Lord, thank you 
that you brought me to see my brokenness. You didn't break me. You showed me my brokenness. I've been wandering so far medicating the pain. Now, here's what we want to do now. And because uh, I, I want you to get a good night's sleep tonight and come back tomorrow morning for some of those amazing donuts in the morning. And we will have you out of here so at noon tomorrow. You got your, you got, so got your afternoon tomorrow. So just come back. But right now, we're going to take a little stretch and just be quiet before the Lord. I think, I think is the worship team going to come? Are we going to have some music? In fact, our musicians can come. Meredith, you are absolutely awesome. Thank you for your gifts. What, what we want to do is this. And this isn't, we're not going to turn the lights down. We're not going to pass out candles. We're not going to m- manipulate anybody emotion. We're just going to say, Lord, thank you for the few moments at the end of a Friday to be quiet. And uh, in fact, let me just right now, you know, just, just if you just close your eyes and, um, you know, to just invite you to some posture of prayer. Would you, would you just bow right now? Um, and, uh, and, and we're not going to be long, so just know that we will be out of here before too long. But here's what I'd like us to do. Um, I'm going to pray for us in a few moments, and, and then uh, I'm going I'm to ask you uh, to, before the throne of grace, ask our Heavenly Father to help you to begin to see a few things. Here's what I would love for you to pray in your own words. Lord, show me where I've been wandering even as, an elder, even as an elder in this church. Lord, help me to understand the restlessness that even right now makes me want to run from this room so fast while everybody's head's down. Lord, help me to understand, Lord, why I feel nervous right now or even angry. Lord, help me understand my wandering heart. Lord, what do I think I have to have but you haven't given me? What am I afraid of losing and can't trust you for? Lord, where have I been harmed? The details aren't the same as Scotty, but I know what it means to have a wounded heart. I know what it means to have parts of my story for which it's hard to reconcile that you're a good God and this has happened or is happening. Father, I... uh, I ask you now for these next few moments of quiet, Lord, that you would help us embrace the gift of silence, Lord. Uh, Sometimes, Lord, on our Sunday mornings when we take 10 seconds to confess our sins, Lord, it feels like 10 minutes. We're just, sometimes it's hard to be still and to know that you are God because sometimes we're not really convinced that you are good. But Lord, come breathe upon us now. Thank you for your word. Thank you for... The fact that where you will take us, as we'll see tomorrow morning, is to be able to say, who do we have in heaven but you? And being with you, we desire nothing on this earth. Lord, bring us the gospel beauty. Bring us the gospel sanity. Bring us health. Bring us healing. Bring us release. Lord, be with us now as we see your pursuing heart for us. My brothers and sisters, just enjoy a few minutes of quiet and just call out to the Lord. He will meet you where you are.